Hi, welcome to the Male Doula Birth Stories. This podcast has been created for all sorts of people to hear birth stories from all sorts of people. My name's Matt. I am the Male Doula. I'm also a fascial release practitioner, a birth keeper, as many of you know, and the creator of the website mybirthkeeper.com. I live in a little town in Kent in England and run a small holistic and alternative therapy clinic called Bowen Bexley. This podcast is interviews with many different people, uh, some who have involvement with the birth process. Each person is able to tell their story. You'll hear joy, anger, love, fear, expectation, loss, and the highs and lows. Please take these stories, use them to make your birth journey a more informed and positive occasion. Now, today, I'm actually talking with Charlie Williams, and you're on Instagram. That's where we found you, or you found me. I found you. I can't remember. I absolutely am. So I set up um, my doula Instagram about, I'm going to say, maybe 18 months ago, just after I had my third child, Atticus. Yeah, I basically just took the plunge, thought, enough talking about this. I'm just, I just need to get on with it and do it. Um, and to be honest, I started, there was a few posts, got major, major imposter syndrome. I'd ignored it for a good while. Um, I then moved areas. So I moved to Shrewsbury in Shropshire and thought, I've just got to get on with it. Basically, I cannot, I cannot ignore this calling anymore. And here we are now. It's going really well. I'm loving it. Instagram is the only place that I am. I set up a Facebook page, but I'm not very good at that. Amazing. I'm, I'm totally on the same page as you. You know, I, I've done the same thing. I just, uh, there was something that triggered me to say, Matt, you, you need to just be a doula, get on with it and stop procrastinating. I think that was the word for me. I just, I, I knew what I had to do. I knew I could do it. I just had to get out there and do it. Um, throughout my kind of childhood, even um, going right the way back, as far as I can remember, I've always been called towards pregnant people. And I remember walks. Um, once walking through a shopping centre with a friend of mine and she nudged me because you know like the models that they put the clothes on it got a bump and she was like because I was just so so in awe of pregnancy and the female body as it went through all the changes that it was just very very relevant throughout my entire childhood and you know various things happened I went to university I actually studied psychology once I finished my second year, um, I was chatting to one of the psychologists there who was saying, you know, what are we going to do for your dissertation? I know you're not called to do my research. That's fine. Let's do something that you want to do. And I ended up doing a qualitative piece of research about people's birth stories. And it was just phenomenal, you know, going around and chatting to people and then just sharing these really enriching, nourishing stories about how they brought life into the world. And I was going back and feeding this back to the psychologist and she was saying, why don't you just swap courses? Just go and do midwifery. Um, and I thought about it and I toed and froed and I just thought, I'm so close to the end of my course. I'm at least going to finish it and then maybe I'll think about going and doing midwifery separately. It just never happened. And for good reason. Um, I'm not a, uh, I don't fit into <laughs> many boxes I'm not very good at following rules so yeah here we are doodling is me 
it's we we kind of out there on our own wing in it aren't we absolutely and i love it i love every bit of it you i i still get a buzz when i get we we might call a midwife in at the end of a birth and um they go you're the doula that's the first thing and then when you tell people of the births you've attended and they they can't believe that you're able to kind of not just stomach it I think most men that I talk to kind of go "Ooh, no 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 (laughs) it's it's the shocked look on people's faces that that's what you do yeah um, I can imagine I think more so as a male as well um I I wish I could record some of the midwives walking in it's it's amazing Oh, Are you well, the dad? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, always, always a good one. So you, you've got three lovely stories. I say three lovely stories. Three stories. We'll call them three stories. Three, three lovely stories. children. Lovely children yeah. and three stories. Now I know the the middle of these. The the second baby uh, was a story that's kind of touched. I think it's going to touch a lot of hearts. Um, but we'll we'll go in order. We'll do it in order, shall we? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, yeah, order would start with my eldest, obviously, who is, um, her name's Eloise, and she is seven and a half. I'm sure that is, that's important. Absolutely. And so I actually went into this pregnancy very excited. I don't want to say naive, but, you know, in comparison to what I know now, I was incredibly unknowledgeable. I didn't have the information that I have now. I looked into having a doula. I looked into having a birth photographer. Never any of it really came to fruition. It was all just like a, okay, but that's that's quite an expense. So do I really need it? Mm, probably not. And it was kind of just pushed to the side, pushed to the side. Wanted to give birth at home. We At that point, we lived in a tiny little village that was quite far from hospital. Um, and my husband was saying, you know, I just don't really feel comfortable with you giving birth at home. So I opted at that point um, to give birth in the birthing suite unit, whatever they're called. Yeah. So she was actually born on, on Boxing Day. So Christmas Day of 2014, had my Christmas lunch, stood washing up and could feel things down one side of my tummy. And I'm thinking, OK, you know, things are are starting. But first baby didn't really know what to expect and um, went and took a nice bath and everything kind of stopped which is fine we know these things happen everything kind of stopped I got into bed put a film on and just went to bed as normal really woke up with a pop at two o'clock in the morning my husband (laughs) waking him up and he's saying surely I'm just weed yourself like no I'm pretty sure pretty sure I haven't weed myself so I went from having really nothing to having really intense contractions within minutes. I was on the phone to the midwife at the birthing suite saying, you know, I think my waters have gone. I've got a really, really big gush. And she was saying, well, you know, perhaps, yeah, perhaps sounds that way, but, you know, you're not having any contractions. And then, bam, I was like, whoa, you know, this intense pressure. And when I just remember thinking, shit, this is, this is serious. This hurts. (laughs) yeah being quite shocked and then as a result I could I could feel myself getting cold I could feel the nice. adrenaline racing and then of course again I, I'm going to use the word naive because it was naive of me but I'm like right so let's go 
go to the hospital and off we went uh husband stopped for snacks on the way to the hospital which is always a running joke um because you know snacking is important do you know what now i i why not it was absolutely the right time maybe we could have yeah. pre-packed some stuff but whatever <laughs> whatever happened we arrived at the hospital i was kind of finding it quite hard to stay calm they said that i needed to be walked up to the room by a porter as in from the floor that you walk in through the hospital doors we got through the hospital doors and they're saying okay we'll phone the maternity department and we will get a porter to come down and meet you and this it kind of sent me into freak out mode like why can I not walk up you know why can I not walk to the hospital um the ward by myself um it made no sense so everything's then starting to you know fall out of place I guess my expectations were that I would move very calmly from home into hospital and that just wasn't the case (laughs) and I got there was greeted by remember curly hair massive curly hair midwife and she seemed really friendly but straight away the first thing she said to me was well you know you're a first time mum so we'll just have a check and see how things are most most of the time we send you home and I thought right okay like geez if this is this is what I'm feeling and you're probably going to send me home what the hell is it going to be like at the end you know so we headed down into this room and at this with this pregnancy I genuinely didn't know that you could turn down examinations. No idea at all. So she did an examination and unconsented. I did not consent. She did a stretch and sweep. It was excruciating. And she went, actually, you're really far gone. She didn't tell me how many centimetres or anything, which I'm glad of. But she said, we're really far gone. We'll get you straight across into... um, one of the rooms um even though she's checked know. you and she can feel that you're obviously quite open she yeah. still had to do a sweep without asking your permission well yeah baffling isn't it Amazing. but yeah i remember Amazing. being horrendous the pain was horrendous yeah so we then crossed over moved into this um birthing room with a pool and i just remember the whole room being purple it was like purple ceiling, purple floor, purple everywhere. I mean, thankfully, I like purple. Not quite that much, but mm. I said, can we get the bath on? You know, get the pool filled. She was like, we're not ready for that yet. Like, okay. Can you just get it on anyway? And I'm literally like whipping off my clothes, you know, like I, I'm in there. Um, yeah. And she was like, right, okay, fine. And she put the taps on and she left the room. And I remember kind of holding on to the side of the um, birthing pool and swaying. And and what I now know to be like these intuitive movements to help baby get into the position and to help myself be more comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my husband and I have done a hypnobirthing course. We've done quite a lot of prep Brilliant. together. And he was trying to massage me. I'm like, get off. Don't touch me. You know, just I'm in I'm in this space and I can't stand it got like essential oils and we've got music to put on none of it happened I got in the water and I just remember feeling so cold like freezing cold and you know I'm sure they wouldn't have run cold water into the bath but that's all I remember my birth is I was literally trembling with the well I imagine adrenaline but my husband was trying to give me water. We bought like lemon water with us. I was sick, 
really, really sick. And the midwife came in because I think I asked him to go and get her. I think I was feeling um, really out of control, really okay. fearful. I remember asking him to go and get her and just check that everything was okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And he left the room to do that. And when she came in with him, I could hear them like, not shouting, but really stern words. And I remember the energy in the room being quite fraught and uncomfortable. And he said, she's just told me off for giving you a drink. And I was like, I couldn't enter to actually find words. But in my head, I remember thinking, well, how does she know if I don't want a drink or do want a drink, you know? And this kind of just went one thing after another. There were only little minor comments or, you know, like I had a gas and air, just a tube that goes into the. So it was kind of just reminding me to take big breaths. (laughs) Um, which sounds really daft but she took it off me um and said um you're stopping your birth you're stopping um the baby from moving by holding on and you know now I know what I know maybe she was trying to suggest that I needed to relax my jaw but it wasn't approached in that way and then my daughter was born very soon after so she was born at six o'clock in the morning so very soon after my water's breaking she was kind of whipped straight out of the pool I was like right let's get your placenta and tug in on the cord and whilst you know I can't really say that any of the birth was particularly bad it wasn't what I wanted it wasn't what I'd seen in the pictures you know the pictures that I'd spent ages researching and that's that's exactly one of the things that we we built this picture even the brochures they give you these lovely glossy brochures that cost goodness knows how much um and you, you've got this lovely picture of a woman with her partner and she's pregnant and they're helping her in. And you, you think, oh, my goodness, that looks so nice. And they go in and the pool's already full and they've got little tea lights all around, you know, yeah. electric tea lights all around. You know, and you think this is this is it. This is what I want. But when you get there and they offer a porter, yeah. you know, what am I, luggage? You know, uh, yeah. what are we talking? <laughs> it's um, straight away you've got this impression, okay, they can't even let me, let my partner, husband take me across to the room, a porter. Then they're going to, they want to do a check and then they don't ask permission and sweep you. And then they're moaning at your husband. They're moaning at you. They're moaning because the fact that as soon as you get in the pool, one of them's got to clean it after you've had the baby and disinfect it. And, you know, it's almost like, oh my goodness, this woman's so much grief. And that's how they make you feel. Yeah, and I think that's how I'm paired with the fact that I've got a kind of a history with hospitals anyway. So I spent a lot of my childhood in hospital. Um, And now I know that giving birth in hospital is not for me um, because it brings up all those, you know, the fear, the... um, I don't even even know what words to use to describe that would feel appropriate but fear being definitely right up there yeah and and then all those little things along the way that just kind of put me in my place you know made you stop and be the patient not the woman birthing yeah very different very different experience and then you know she was born I was saying about the placenta, it was, she was really tugging on the cord to get the placenta to release. And 
it actually she wanted to use pitocin and i said no i, I how long after to how long after the baby was born 10 minutes this is this is not no, long at all no. um, and actually it came out very soon after but she she literally you know had taken my baby to the other side of the room was doing this to me in the pool had sent my husband for a shower because he had been in the birth pool with me um during the kind of last last little part everyone was kind of separated across the room and again I just remember feeling so cold so so cold um and then after that kind of after the placenta came out and we we were then put in like a little a corner of the room I don't want to say a bed because it wasn't a bed it was like a you know like soft play (laughs) it was kind of like being in soft play um lay in the corner of the room um and then Eloise was brought to me and you know that part was really special because that was the part where we were, we were a little family for the first time and she literally latched straight away and fed and it was magical and I did get a bit of time where it was just us and we were left to our, our own little bubble but then it very quickly became about well do you need stitches? Do you, let's sort this out. And all of a sudden I got like a room full of midwives and I did need stitches and they were toying on whether I needed to go um, somewhere else. I'm not sure where that place would have been, but I didn't, but I did have to have a several people come and look. <laughs> it just all felt really strange. And then they recommended gas and air for having the stitches, which were just, I mean, flipping awful, to be honest. And yeah, and it... I, I was in shock, <laughs> just yeah. complete, sheer shock. I had no idea mm-hmm. what I was doing. While she had fed really well the first time, she then didn't feed all day. And then we were at home and I was expected then to be this mother that just gets on with it. And I didn't, I was in no yeah. way ready, no way. So yeah, that was my first experience of birthing. And my goodness, Charlie, that's a, that's a lot to share. That's that is a lot that you've just given us. And you know, it's not that we're trying to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do. You know, but if your if your choice is to go to a hospital or a birthing suite for the birth of your baby, it's it's trying to do as much as you can to make sure that you're treated as a birthing person and not as a patient. Yeah, now, this is something that I I keep going over and over, and I say to people, "You're not ill, okay?" So, and I think sometimes people actually, as soon as they walk through the hospital door, they're ill, and you know, if if you've got an appendicitis and you walk into the hospital, you know that you need a doctor to help you to get that appendix out and make you better. But yeah. I think you do the same when you go in pregnant or in labour and you go, yeah. I need a doctor to get this baby out of me. And it's like, yeah. no, you don't. Your body is 100% going to do that on its own without any assistance. You don't Absolutely. need anyone. Um conversation I've literally been having today with a friend and that is you know once you enter those hospital doors you do become a patient and then the impatience of the medical staff quite often becomes well it's 
very present in your brain. And then added to that kind of the societal and the very discreet messages that are just influenced throughout our lives, yeah. that babies are born very quickly. And that just isn't the case. You know, we've got a friend in hospital at the moment and she's had maybe four days so far of contraction slowly. It's been very lovely for her so far. And the moment she's entered hospital, they've gone, hang on a minute, you know, time's ticking. Let's get a move on. And it's really hard to say no to that. And this is, again, Um, this is all about being informed. If you're informed and you've got some knowledge of what is going to be said to you, and this is what these podcasts are all about this, you know, you're listening to these stories from these different people and they're saying, this is what was said to me. And you can almost guarantee that you'll walk into a hospital in labour, it's your first baby, we're just going to check you, we'll probably send you home, you know. And it's it's a sentence I think is embedded in most midwife's brains. You know, they, they have to say that when this first time mum comes in and it, it shouldn't be that like that. Instantly places a mistrust in your own body. Instantly. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. I've come here because I feel ready to be here. And you're immediately telling me that I'm wrong. Yeah, um, you don't know what you're doing. Go home. Exactly. But for that reason... I could probably move on to the next birth story now. So baby number two. This baby number two. So baby number two came after three early miscarriages. So I had in between Eloise and Avery, these very early kind of six week, seven week miscarriages. It was all looking like we weren't going to have another baby. And then the stars aligned and we fell pregnant with Avery and we had an early scan just to check things were fine and and looking good and they were and I think she was six weeks at the time you know the tiniest little dot um on this scan image straight away I phoned the midwife and said you know things are looking really good I'd like to have my booking in appointment and we went for the booking in appointment and I said I want a home birth and instantly it's like oh right okay why and I explained that my experience last time and her response was well you're in a different area this time you know you're living in a completely different area and I was like well that may be the case but I'm having the home birth that I've always wanted I didn't get the chance last time and you know this might be my last baby I'm gonna do it I think because of it early days, she kind of left it there. and Yeah, we moved on. But with this pregnancy, I didn't see the same midwife ever again. I also didn't see the same midwife, you know, any of the same midwife. Each appointment I went to was somebody different. And so I'd have to explain everything all over again. And each midwife that I spoke to would come up with a different reason why I couldn't give birth at home. One was very concerned about so, um, shoulder dystocia because I have, in quote, big babies. Um, and how on earth she possibly came to that conclusion blows my mind. But anyway, she was concerned about shoulder dystocia. The next person was concerned about me having a dog at home. Um, the next person was concerned about um, an ambulance not being able to get to me in time should the emergency arrive. A situation 
arise. Um, you know, you get the picture. It was just one thing after another after Good another. Mongering. Yeah, just yeah, getting you as um, afraid as possible. Absolutely. And it got to the point where I said, right, do you know what? I'm wondering whether not to have midwife appointments anymore because, you know, towards the end of your pregnancy when you're having more, it was mm-hmm. like a battle and it felt like every time I went, it was affecting the way that I felt. I would go home and have to debrief with someone. And I should mention, actually, that with this pregnancy, I had a friend who is the most beautiful birth keeper um, and she supported me. So after every appointment, we would talk and we would almost boo-boo everything they were saying, you know, it, it was utter bollocks. But it didn't take away from the fact that they'd said it um, and it never really quite disappeared. We then got to, I'm going to say about 37 weeks so Eloise was born at 38 weeks. So we got to 37 weeks and I had a knock on the door, completely unexpected. And it was the head of midwives from the hospital with a midwife that she bought who was on duty. Um, and she said, do you mind if we come in and have a chat with you about your home birth? We've bought your home birth kit. So she got the kit with her and I'm like, oh, brilliant. You know, again, maybe completely naive. In fact, very naive. Um, So they come into my house, I make them a cup of tea, we sit down and she's like, I'm just going to start because we're really going to recommend that you come to hospital to have this baby. Like, right, okay. I don't feel prepared for this conversation. I don't have any support with me. I'm looking after my Mm. child. Um, As well as, you know, being in those last last weeks of pregnancy where everything feels... Mm a hundred times worse than it perhaps is on the face of the surface and Mm -hmm. you know the hormones are really flowing and she brought up everything you know we're concerned that we're not going to have enough staff we're concerned about your dog we're concerned about the cleanliness of your home for the record my home was very clean (laughs) my goodness how rude we're concerned about um there not being any um, ambulances available um, all the stuff that had been mentioned to me in previous appointments, but amplified because I've got two midwives sitting in my safe space, you know. And I actually asked them to leave because Good. Good. I felt so overwhelmed. But I was in floods of tears and I just said, I just wanted to go on a picnic today. <laughs> we got this plan that me and my daughter, we were going to go down to a little stream near our house. And we were going to sit and have a picnic as kind of like our last little outing because I felt really ready to give birth. Um, so I asked them to leave and we went on our picnic. And good, good for you. I sat with my daughter on my lap and cried and cried. But it was brilliant, you know, like this really big release of emotion. And I then went in, so we, a few days later, went into my 38-week appointment my damn waters broke on the bench. <laughs> so as I sat up, honestly, you couldn't write it. My waters broke. And I was like, damn it. Now they've got the time. They've got the time. That they still broke going it. home. You can still leave. You can still leave. I said, <laughs> yeah, I said, right, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be in my, my space. I don't want to hear from anybody. I will contact you um, when the time's right. And I had, no joke, 
we had 10 plus, I can't remember the exact number, but there was more than 10 missed calls on my phone uh, from the hospital. Um, and thankfully, I didn't see that, I think, otherwise it would have really affected how I felt. Um, nothing, number one. Yeah, nothing happened that night. Um, I just, I listened to music that I liked. Um, my friend was round, the friend that I mentioned earlier, she was round and she cooked dinner for me and my family. Lovely. And we just went to bed as a, you know, what I now know as the last night of a family of three. My waters were kind of leaking slowly throughout the night, uh, but not too disturbing, you know. I got some really nice sleep. Um, and I woke up in the morning at about six o'clock and just got this feeling that it was the time. I had no idea why. I'd had no contractions at all. I was like, I'm just going to run myself a bath. I phoned my friend and said, could you come round um, and phone the midwives as well? So I got into the bath and lit up my candles, put my music on and watched the sunrise through the window. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And my friend arrived, my daughter woke up and I remember her putting a drink and a biscuit on the side of the bath and just being like, oh, this is, Um, this is the first, you know, that's what I wanted. And I could hear kind of the midwives, my friend arrive at roughly the same time. No one disturbed me. They stayed downstairs. Um, I did have someone shout up at, at one point, have you had a wee? Because <laughs> um, I got out of the water and they were, I guess, reminded me to just do that before I went downstairs. Um, and and my husband with me. <laughs> yeah. And he helped me to do that and then helped me down the stairs. Um, and I went into this, just beautiful I can only um explain it as like a trance-like state I was just there but not there and I'd created a birthing space a few weeks prior with I'd got affirmations on the wall fairy lights up um and I put like my favorite blankets and pillows and everything around and my daughter Avery she was born about 45 minutes after and it was just incredible absolutely incredible sounds amazing it sounds so amazing um so I was using a birthing ball leaning on the birthing ball almost on all fours position and I remember being very specific in my notes to the midwives like do not touch me basically they really respected that they were you know really hands off and as her head was born she moved like really moved I remember turning around and going, get off me. Um, they were like, we're not, we're not anywhere near. It's your baby. Like natural, baby. natural turn. Yeah. And then my, my daughter was there actually for the whole birth. I remember her saying, I can see the baby. It's waving at me. <laughs> I mean, there is no way she's waving because she, um, her arms hadn't been born yet, but maybe she was waving with her eyes. I'm not sure. Um, and the next thing I knew, the midwife was saying, you know, would you like to go and meet your baby? Because I guess, you know, that, that birth pause, it was mm. maybe a little bit longer for me than than other people. Mm. But I was just coming round and back into the space. Um, and I've got a video of me somewhere going, I'm on my way. <laughs> and it was just 
so funny to watch now. Oh yeah, it was brilliant. And then her APGAR scores didn't improve. So we were blue lighted to hospital. And it is just soul destroying to think. So knowing what I know now, I would have hung off and, and stayed at home for a little bit longer. But that then created this emergency scenario, you know, so I was then in an ambulance. She was in a separate ambulance. I was having to leave my husband and there was nothing wrong with her. She was fine. She spent a night in NICU being observed and she was fine. But as a result, I was not, you know, because that pulled me away from that beautiful, beautiful birth into absolute devastation of you know emergency what's going to happen to my baby um there was cannulas being put in my arms yeah you know they say there's that one midwife though the midwife who is just beautiful lovely um and she came over to me um she's like is this what you want and I said no this is not what I want why have I got a cannula in my arm She's like, well, you know, I think they're presuming that you've got an infection. I was like, well, does anyone know that I've got an infection? Well, no. Has anyone done a test to say that I've got an infection? No. Well, can you get the camera? Even have a temperature. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, And she did. You know, there and then, fair play. I'm sure she would have been, you know, persecuted in some way for doing that. Um, But she was my absolute rock throughout that whole experience and even came round to NICU and said, you know, let's get you with your baby. Uh, you know, I couldn't hold her because she was in an incubator. Um, but she was telling the staff in there, you know, this, this mother needs to hold her baby as soon as physically possible. And, you know, they did all they could to make that happen as quickly as possible. Um, but without her, that wouldn't have happened. So I'll be eternally grateful for that, whilst also slightly bitter about the twist in that experience. Yeah, it's, it's, I think at this point it's that we I'm talking about midwives, and it's very easy to coat them all with the same brush, and that's that's not right. It's not necessarily entirely the midwife's fault. It's all to do with the way they're trained and the list of tick boxes that they've got to do, and it's. Yeah. Each birth that I've been able to attend, when we don't have those tick boxes, um, things change. You know, I I've recently was at a birth where, you know, midwives want to see three in ten with a minute or more in each each contraction. You know, we had five hours of labour with no contraction over 30 or 40 seconds. And sometimes yeah. there was only two, literally right up until baby was born. We were still only having two just about managing three in 10 minutes. So, you know, yeah. all these little figures and things they put on will work for one person, but not for another. APGAR scores, for instance, they're not going to work with every baby. You know, if your husband's now tall, I, short. You're... Yeah, now I know my daughter. Um, this low APGAR score is very typical of her. You know, she's so relaxed. She is the most kind and gentle person. She didn't come out crying and, you know, she's not that type of person now. And they were trying to say, because she hasn't taken that big breath, you know, that they get when they cry, she hasn't got her oxygen up and therefore, therefore. And it was, you know, I guess, understandable in a way. But, yeah, 
completely soul destroying in another. Yeah. Yeah. Your your face is saying it all. I just I wish people could see the expressions that I know. people I talk to. You can see that the this this system that's being used is is breaking people. You know, I I thought of um your your first daughter. We've had Louise sitting there at that second birth. You know how that must have been so, so amazing to be able to see how a baby should yeah. come out and how it should be born, and that that must have been you know amazing. That's all I can say, and I think that's what they need to see. But they don't need to see the other types of things with mums screaming and ambulances and, you know, what's that doing to that child? Absolutely. Uh, what was she, four? Four, was you know? Four. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was lovely to hear her talk. I mean, we've done a lot of processing around this birth. Um, you know, my background is therapy, so it's a real of passion course. of mine. Um, and she said to me, Mummy, you roared as you gave birth. And I did, you know, I was silent yeah. throughout most of it and I was really in the moment. But as that moment came, I remember roaring and she said, it was so powerful. Like, it was so powerful. I felt the power and I'm glad you felt the power too. Um, and equally, we spoke about how it felt really different then to have six, six people from an ambulance crew because there was three on each ambulance in our very tiny living room and what that felt like for her and she said it felt like strangers came into our home and just took you away and you know that's how it felt to me too and just the the innocence of the words that children use um you know it's helped with my healing around that birth immensely because I guess it's having that other view that reflection of um what happened yeah so we we've we've got these first two let's this i I love this name atticus what an awesome name (laughs) so baby atticus tell us this this is the one that i i sent you via messages this is more of a tough one for me but um i think it's one that everybody needs to hear so yeah do you want to atticus is my little warrior and that's why he has a little warrior name so Atty's pregnancy was really different to the other two. So I decided um, that we were going to have a home birth. And at the time, um, COVID hit. And so no home births were happening. And I hired a doula this time around. It was a virtual doula, but I hired a doula um, because that's all we could obviously get at the time. And I made the decision that if we couldn't have a home birth with a midwife in attendance, then I would have my home birth anyway. However, (laughs) at 30 weeks, I'm going to say, 30 weeks, I had a random bleed completely. I've never had it with any of the other pregnancies. You know, alarm bells, you see red blood, alarm bells go. So I phoned the midwife at the hospital. And she said, well, it's fairly normal to have these types of bleeds. Fairly normal. You know, you are a third time mum. I trust you. So what do you think? And I was like, well, it's not normal to me. You know, I've not had this happen before. I'm kind of relying on you a little bit here. 
what should I do? And she said, well, stay at home, monitor the bleeding. If you get any big gushes, then come to hospital. Okay. You know, I'd already called my husband to say, I'm going to be going to hospital because I'm pretty sure that's what I thought she was going to say. But he said, you know, I'm on my way home. So I'd got him come in. I was all expected to go out. He got home and I was like, she said to stay at home. And we're like, okay, you know, we'll stay at home. And yeah, if it gets worse, it gets worse. If it doesn't, I don't know. We'll just stay put. I went into my 32 week appointment a few weeks later. And I said to my midwife, you know, this is going to sound really strange, but I feel, I feel close to birthing. A few things have been happening. In my previous two pregnancies that had gone full term, I'd been having tightenings about a month before I actually gave birth. So, and I'm talking regular every five minutes, you know, just nothing painful, sometimes a bit uncomfortable, but I could almost on the dot tell you, you know, one's going to come now or one's going to come now. And it was happening. And I'd lost my mucus plug. I'd had I'm trying to remember I I get this kind of um almost like an electric buzzy kind of feeling as I'm getting closer to birth um and I explained this all to her and I was like I've actually got a holiday booked for in two weeks time what do you reckon and I don't know why I said that she was like oh no go on your holiday sounds like you just need to relax you probably need some rest you know you've got two other children life's tough at the moment I said, you know, everything inside me saying no, that I need to be at home, that I need to be planning for maybe a different type of birth. Maybe this isn't right. I'm not sure. I left that appointment in absolute tears because, again, it kind of took me back to that first birthing experience where I'm explaining what's happening and it's disregarded. It was brushed off. And I'm sure she said to me something around that is like, well, every baby's different. And yeah. every pregnancy is different. Almost like you don't have a clue, you know, and you know, yeah, to some extent I don't, but I can have a well-educated guess based on my previous experiences. I went home. This was the Thursday. I'd ha- I'd got a friend coming around for um lunch and she arrived, she's actually an A&E consultant. And she said, oh, God, lovely. That is not right. That is absolutely not right. Phone your midwife back and just go and get checked. I phoned the hospital and I said, this is what's happened. I've been to my appointment and this is what the midwife said. I've got my friend around. She's a consultant. She's told me that this is not right. I need to go into hospital. They said, well, where does she work? It's like A&E. Well, with no disrespect, she's not a gynecologist, is she? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I went, I'm going to go. You know, I'm in like a fluster now. I'm going to go. So I hung up the call. Saturday, I woke up feeling really poorly. Um, I couldn't, couldn't put my finger on it. I just didn't feel right. Kind of got, went through the day. When I did a food shop, we stood at the, the checkout and, you know, this very British, um, light-hearted conversation, small talk. The lady like, well, when's baby due? I'm like, do you know what? I actually think today's the day. Again, I don't know why I said it, but it just came out. And my husband's looking at me like, okay. And I went out onto the car park and, you know, we're sorting the other children out. 
And he went, really? Do you, is this what you really think? I was like, yeah. I don't know what is happening in my body, but it really feels like today's going to be the day for baby. And I got home and I've started to notice this um, cold again, this cold feeling. I phoned the midwife. I explained I've lost my mucus plug. I've got regular contractions. I'm feeling quite cold. And she said, well, it's not quite all adding up. That It doesn't sound right. Can you come in and um, get checked? And I drove myself to hospital because I'm literally imagining that I'm going to go in, have this check, check the baby's okay. Nothing to do with me. We'll check this baby's okay. And then I'll come home. So I arrive at the hospital. They treat me like I've got COVID. So I'm put in an isolation room. No member of staff came in that I recall. And then a midwife came in and said, right, we're going to do some swabs as in like um, COVID swabs, because we think you've got COVID and that's what's happening here. So she did that swab and off she went. And then I was unconscious. And I remember, I remember lying back in the bed and feeling my eyes roll. And then my body started shaking. I remember thinking, what the fuck? What is happening? What is going on with my body? And I called the bell and, you know, Thankfully, a, a midwife came pretty quickly and I just said, I don't know what's happening. I, I, you know, I'm really panicking. I don't know what's happening to me. My body, everything was shaking. And I rolled in and out of consciousness for about two, three hours. Um, and even when I was with her, I wasn't really there. You know, I could hear, couldn't really talk. Um at this point they're going do you know what maybe this isn't covid this looks a bit something different and actually they've got limited availability to all the information that i've shared because the notes were so small i read through them afterwards the notes of phone calls that i had of even in my appointment where i've explained everything that's gone on there's none of that none of that was recorded it was all you know just urine was clear and blood tests show this or whatever discussed breastfeeding these kind of things um and I remember saying to this midwife please please don't leave me don't leave me while I, I feel or oh, while I feel like this I just want my husband um and he couldn't be there damn mm-hmm. covid has a lot to answer for But she said, and I'm so glad, she said, you're my only mother that I'm working with and I'm not going anywhere. But equally, she couldn't get close to me because they thought I got COVID. (laughs) Um, So she sat at the end of my bed. And I I physically remember the feeling of just wanting to be held. Um, And saying, you know, can you come closer? Um. And her saying, I'm really sorry, but I can't, I can't come closer to you. Which is very ironic because a few hours later, they came very, 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 very close and um, took lots of swabs internally. Um, So I think I had four or five different vaginal swabs. So they were then presuming that I got a womb infection. Um, Mm -hmm. And the results came back that, 
yeah, this, I mean, this was a few days down the line that I found out, but I got a very, very severe womb infection that had led to, led to sepsis, which is why I was so, so poorly. And I'm so glad that I drove myself to hospital, um, yeah. trusting what very little instinct was left in me. I got through that night. It was one of the scariest nights of my life, but I got through it and I woke up in the morning and I'd had a conversation with a consultant very briefly that said, you know, we are thinking we can sort this infection out really quickly. You know, they've got a limited knowledge at this point, but they're presuming, you know, that it's a womb infection. So we will sort out the infection and then you'll be back home with your babies in no time. And I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. Then I went to the bathroom and my waters broke and curveball, you know, because then baby can't stay in an infected womb. But they say, we're going to induce you at 3am that night so this is like 9 10 o'clock in the morning so then it's like well we're going to induce you at 3am because we want to get as much into the baby as we possibly can we're talking steroids um i'm pretty sure it's magnesium yeah. for brain development all of these sorts of things their eyes move open in lungs that you think yeah. yeah so at this point i am in sheer like I don't want to say panic. It wasn't, it was disbelief. Like how, mm. how are we here when I wanted yeah. to be way, way over there, you know, but working through the motions, this is what we need to do now. Okay. Yeah. But I wanted a C-section. So I said, that's fine. I agree to having this medication for my baby. Um, but I want a C-section. And it was laughed at. And she, the consultant said in jest, your baby wouldn't forgive you for that. She walked out the room and closed the door behind her. So I couldn't answer. I couldn't give any more information. I couldn't even ask why she had that opinion. But I knew that I didn't want an induction. My own research, you know, most inductions end up with a C-section. My baby's and already... Yeah, my my yeah. my baby is already in quite a stressful situation. I'm mm. already in quite a stressful situation. Um, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that process. Um, so I called the midwife in. I said, "Look, I am so so scared of having an induction. It's not something I have ever wanted, and I want a C-section. We'll discuss it with the doctor, but there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing." nothing at all and she was telling me about how nearly every woman that comes into hospital has an induction and they're all fine and at this point I'm just like do you know what I don't think there's a way out of this I, I don't and I'm a well-informed person I'm a person who's you know flipping feisty sometimes but I sat there and just let it all happen um I got wheeled through to the delivery suite a little little bit before, maybe about 1am, something like that. So then, very similarly to my first birth, the adrenaline's pumping because, you know, we're back in this hospital, but even more medicalised this time. 
whatever they got me on on this trip was making me pee like it was ridiculous. It was also stopping me from sleeping. And they kept coming in and saying, just relax, just get some rest because everything's going to change soon. And you're going to have a baby or you're going to be on drip, you know, to have the contractions. So you need to get some rest. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, hilarious. Um, far from going past the desk, past the desk, to the toilet, maybe every half an hour. And I was so hot. Like, this is the infection I now know. So I got the aircon in the room and somebody came through. They didn't even speak to me. They put their arm through the door, flicked my light off and turned my aircon off. And actually to go back as I was wheeled, as I was wheeled into the delivery suite, I remember so clearly the ward manager shouting across to the midwife who was moving me, saying, get that dressing gown off her. I guess because I've got a temperature and she wanted, you know, me to be a bit cooler. But I just remember at that point thinking, you know, shit, we're downhill from here. There is, there is very little way back from this. But at 3am, they came into my room. I'm talking like a team of people. There's maybe eight doctors. One doctor in particular is talking to me, a female doctor. And she said, we've changed our minds. We're not going to induce you at 3am. We're going to wait till the morning because we're really short staffed. Like, okay. So I said, with no disrespect, while I can appreciate that, you've told me it's going to be 3 a.m. And I'm awake. I'm full of adrenaline. And I can't do this. And she went, oh, you absolutely will. Us women are really strong. And off they went. All left my room. So, yeah, I was then left. I thought, you know what? I just need to get myself in the best possible situation I can. I put some music on and I tried to rest. I just lay back in the bed and closed my eyes, tuned into the music and really tried my hardest to um, get in a more positive frame of mind. As the staff handover, maybe about eight o'clock in the morning, something like that, they were handing over and I got a new midwife come on duty, who was the midwife that was later there for my birth. She came into the room and she introduced herself. I said, you know, lovely to meet you. I just want to run through the absolute basics of what I want or don't want for this birth. And I'm talking basics like um, low lighting. I want very, very little talking. I want um, delayed cord clamping. I want skin to skin. If, you know, if that's possible for baby then all these things are going to help me. So uh, there was a few other things that I forget now I'm talking about it, but um, no examinations, these kind of things. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. She's like, you do have to leave your dignity at the door, don't you, when you have a baby? And I looked at her and I went, um, I absolutely am not leaving my dignity anywhere. And I remember her looking at me because, you know, she's masked. She's got a hat on. She's got a mask on. And I could just see her eyes and they looked at me like, oh, God, you're one of these, <laughs> you know. So I did agree to have an initial vaginal examination so that they knew what route to use for induction. And also so I could get my husband there because, you know, I've gone through all of this. 
on my own so far. Um, yeah. And I was pretty sure that I'd been dilating anyway uh, with the contractions that I've been having. I wanted him there. Um, so she examined me and she said, well, good news is you're three centimetres. Um, but we probably think that that is just because you've had previous babies. Um, so it's not a true indication of how dilated you actually are. Okay. You know, I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? So anyway, you can't have your husband here until you're four. Like, okay. Okay. So anyway, she, she left the room. She said, you know, it's, it's too late to use any kind of, um, creams pessaries this type of stuff would get you straight on the hormone trip so at this point I'm like right okay I need my husband because I birthed quickly Eloise was born in four hours from waters breaking to giving birth Avery's born in one and a half this baby's coming quickly she went oh you've never been induced before though like no I appreciate that but I react quickly to medication I react quickly to most things so I would like him here at least on the car park um you know so I can quickly call him if things were to ramp up she said no firm no oh wow and left the room um oh wow at this I'm like okay what am I going to do how can I help myself here where is this you know what can I do so I remembered that my friend's husband works at the hospital on the ward actually um he's the anaesthetist at the ward so I text her and I said by any chance is he on duty he was he came in to see me he said what's going on I was like I want my husband here I need Gareth I need him here he was like I'll sort it out don't worry sort it out so he he put his head around the door and he said all sorted phone him he can come um so I got Gareth there she'd already started this trip and I'm not joking, instantly, I was such a low dose, but instantly my body's going contraction, 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 one after the other. The most bloody awful thing in the world. Nothing like a real contraction. And anyway, he arrives. She hands him the information on an epidural and said, um, your wife has not consented to this. I hadn't. I said specifically, do not mention epidural. I don't want one. At no point will I want one. Um, the risks for me far outweigh the benefits. And I want to feel my birth, you know, this is important to me. So Gareth's then looking at me like, what the fuck has been happening? What, how have we gone from what we were planning to this, you know? Well, in the past few days, I haven't seen him for like three days by this point. Um, she left the room and we had a quick chat, a quick catch up. I basically filled him in on everything that had happened and he was then in shock um and I remember him moving to the corner so the bed's in the middle and he moved to the left hand side I just see him in my um corner of my eye and then two midwives came back into the room and they said you know it's it's routine that we give epidurals for um inductions and I said right okay I don't want an epidural. So that was kind of, again, moved on. So I started to do some nipple stimulation and also collecting colostrum because I knew at this point now, okay, baby's going to be early. They're probably going to need some colostrum while they're in NICU. 
Um, so I started harvesting some colostrum. Um, and she went, oh, I've never seen this before. The midwife, never seen harvesting colostrum. My mind was blown, honestly. Then the contractions start really, really started to um, really hurt. So I was zoning out and breathing through them in the best way that I possibly could. And she said, I'm going to go and get the NICU team to come and chat with you about what's going to happen to baby when they're born. I'm thinking this is a really bad time for this conversation, but okay. Um, And they did come. And I don't remember a word of what they said because, you know, why would I? And then I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I'm aware. You're okay. You're okay. This is just, I'm absolutely, I'm trying not to say the wrong things and how I'm feeling right now. Um, because it's it's boiling up and it's this is just there's so much I am going to add at the end of this but yeah please jump to wherever you want we um at this point are just looking at each other Gareth and I like what the hell and I just remember saying this is not the birth I want over and over again this is not what I want this is not what I want you know and the midwife saying you know well plans change like okay okay plans do change but they don't change like this you know not for me (laughs) and I've got continuous fetal monitoring so the two straps around the tummy baby's fine throughout all of this so all of this that I'm feeling god knows how but he was absolutely fine and she kept saying to me you know you need to be sitting on the bed um not even lying down on the bed you need to be sitting on the bed and every time I moved, she's like, sit back down. And she propped my bed up. So I, my back was upright. And I was in like a, you know, like sitting on a chair for dinner. She moved the bed so that I was literally sat, sat down. Um, Why? I have no idea. There was cushions. Is this propped. a new birth did... position that we, we've not heard about? Well, she did this very purposefully. She got all these pillows. She put one either side of me, two behind me. I felt like I was on a marshmallow. You know, there was that much behind me. Um, and then I started to get really uncomfortable with the straps, with the position I was in. So I got up off the bed and I moved to the end of the bed and I was pushing um, this natural, in a very unnatural scenario, but this natural urge to just nudge, little nudges. Yeah. Um, she went, whoa far too early for this far far too early and I just looked at Gareth and I went get her away just get her away from me she didn't listen he was too perplexed he had no idea what to do what to say to react in that scenario she got me back on the bed and I said right you need to go fetch someone to do wireless monitoring because I cannot have these straps around my tummy anymore started to say that they couldn't find the baby's heartbeat. Um, exactly. Then a doctor came in and said, um, the only feet, the only wireless um, monitoring you can do is the one where they put the little screw into the baby's head, you know, the little twist. Okay. Um, but we can't do that because you've got an infection and that will open baby up for an infection. Yeah. It's like, right. And this is a decision that I'd made prior to birthing, that if this was a scenario 
I would rather be able to move around. Yeah, which is the monitors. Earth hmm. And have that in their scalp, which sounds awful to many people, but it was important to me to be able to move. So in the scenario that there wasn't any wireless monitoring, that uh, that's what I wanted. And then that was a point blank refusal. I was like, shit, you know, this is it. This is how I'm going to have to do it. Mm. Um, and I just felt completely deflated. And I remember being in so much pain. And again, like I said, it was nothing like a real contraction. It was crippling pain, not tight at the bottom of my tummy, completely different. Um, and she looked at me and she said, you're very obviously not coping with this. So I really think we should get an epidural. And I said, do you know what? Go and get someone else I can talk to. I was furious, absolutely furious. And she came back in with a doctor and two other midwives. So I got three midwives and a doctor at the end of my bed. And they said, all together, all over the top of each other, we really recommend that you have an epidural, just have an epidural. Things will be so much easier if you have an epidural. You know, there's just this word, epidural, epidural, epidural. I went, do you know what? Get me an epidural. If it makes you lot leave me alone, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. On a screen. So I'll forever remember this man, James. James, the anaesthetist, who wasn't the anaesthetist that was a friend's husband. It was a different one. He came in the room and he was the only person throughout this whole experience that said, is this what you want? And I said, no, it absolutely isn't. But if it makes these not leave me alone, then put it in my back. Just get it done. And he was like, I don't know what to do with that information. Is that consent? I was like, yeah, it's consent. It's consent. It isn't consent, but do it. Just and do it so he gets all his stuff ready i'm sat on the end of the bed on the edge of the bed sorry in position for him to start this thing i've got a midwife in front of me pushing these two monitors right into my tummy because they couldn't find the baby's heartbeat you know he cited the epidural he pushed the needle in he pulled the needle out, and as he pulled the needle out, I went, this baby's going out, and I leaned back, and he flew out. Thank you. Thank you so much. Looked up at her, and I said, now do you believe me? And she ran out of the room and was shouting for a NICU team, you know. She did. She had no idea this was going to happen. No, no. By all my instructions throughout and, and feedback throughout, she had no idea. Within seconds of him being born she cut his cord which was the one thing that I had very specifically said you know you don't touch the NICU team came in and said did you do delayed cord clamping she went oh yeah yeah at least a minute there was no minute I can guarantee you um and I did have a very very special 20 minutes of holding him and he was doing really really well he obviously needed some observations because of him being, um, he was very tiny and yeah, he needed just observations. So he went off to NICU. She brought over my placenta, like, do you want to look at this? And I just thought, do you know what? I don't even want to look at you. Just get out, get out of my space. Um, she went, I'm going to go for my lunch anyway. So I'll be back soon. And I got up and left 
I literally, honestly, it was, I would never recommend this for anyone, but I got no. up off the bed, I whacked a pad on, pulled my knickers up, and I went off to nick you. Like, no one's, I'm going with my baby. No one's yeah. going to bother me. Yeah. I'm off. And I remember feeling yeah. so ill because, you know, I'm still recovering from sepsis. I was so, so poorly. But no one was going to stop me. Uh, I remember yeah. walking out of the um, ward and someone going, but you've had an epidural. So I, I know I haven't because I've got all the wires hanging out my back, you know, but I hadn't had anything at all. They obviously, they obviously didn't know how epidurals work because you, yeah. you can't walk if you're pregnant. <laughs> oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah. And I mean, it's taken me, I'm going to say over a year to even speak that birth story aloud because it makes me so angry, so angry to think that any human being could be treated in that way. And that to me is beyond belief. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's why, that's why I pulled my finger out and I did my doula training. Um, awesome. Because awesome. I want no other woman to experience that, no other birthing person to experience that. Um, thank you, Charlotte. Yeah. I, I can't say thank you enough. You know, um, I've sat here very quiet because I found it hard to talk without showing my anger at all of this. Now, you, you mm. mentioned consent. Saying yes is not consent. Uh, and people kind of go, yes, 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 yes. When there's coercion involved mm. and every single one of your births, we are we are talking dozens of midwives, doctors coercing you in even when they're coming in in groups, you know, paramedics coming in in six, you know, to, they're all coercing. It's not you making a decision. They're forcing it on you. Now, by British law, that is illegal. Every one of them is committing an offence. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that people need to realise. If there's there's midwives, doctors, anyone out there that's in the birthing field, realise that if you coerce a woman into any choice within her birth plan that she didn't want, that's coercion, that's illegal, that is something that needs to be brought up. And for the, for the women out there, people that are, are pregnant right now that are going to go into hospital make sure you say to them just say look if you don't these these are the things i want okay if you do not do those or you try and coerce me into anything else it is illegal and i will be pushing charges once this baby's born yeah. and i think that type of attitude when you walk in i know it's not creating the right environment but that's not happening anyway you know i it think is. we need to make sure these people are going in and the people in the hospital you know are knowing that you're not going in there to mess around. If you're nice to me and you do what I've asked you to do, this is my body, my baby, then I will respect you and I will be polite and I might even be your best friend at the end of this. But if you go against me, then you, that's coercion and I'm not having it. Yeah. And it's... For anybody that's had me as a doula, they they know that, that is, that's how I go in. I go in firm, I go in strong... And I don't let midwives push my clients around. And I will literally, I, I have removed midwives from birthing rooms. 
because they are not doing what my client wants. And I refuse to let that particular midwife back in. Go get another one. You know, it's not happening. And yeah. this is the the mindset that I've got in a birth room. I wish people like yourselves, you know, now you're a doula as well. Don't don't let your clients be pushed around. Don't let them be coerced into something they don't want. Trust. See, I, I say this a few times. I've said this quite on quite a few podcasts. My best tool in the birth room is the mum's intuition. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've looked at a mum and thought, it's this. And she says, no, I just need to move. I need to do this. Can you can you get the rebose around? Can you like can you shake the apples for me? And I'm like, if, yeah, if that's what you want me to do. Didn't seem the right thing to me at that point, but that's what she wanted. And every single time I listen to mum, it works out. You know, they're thanking me. And I'm like, no, thank you. You told me what to do. Um, so I think there's so much we can learn from your three stories I really really do it's amazing how you can have three children and really one plan and them all be so different you know mind-boggling but yeah I I am now I guess one of those people that nobody wants to talk to when they have a baby you know because I struggle. I don't want people to go into it blind. I think information is power. God, having someone there to hold your hands through it all is just beyond important. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you, know, uh, you mentioned it in the like the last one with obviously COVID. It's got a lot to answer for. The fact that they're they're able to do VEs and everything like that, but they can't just give you a hug. Yeah. There's, there's something not right there, isn't there? We, we, you know, we could go back over it all. Hopefully it's behind us. Hopefully we yeah. can move on and um, we can have the normal birthing experiences that we, we deserve. Yeah. But it's, it's going to take time. And, you know, it's these, these little podcasts, you know, I, I, I don't want anything for these. I, like you say, the, the knowledge is the power. And yeah. I, I give my knowledge as free, what I've got. You know, I love to learn. I'm, I'm lear- I've learned from you today, but I also love to be able to pass that knowledge on for free. And if you want me there as your doula and, you know, you've, you've got instant access to everything I know. And I give that as best I can in whatever scenario. So, and I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do as well. So yeah, yeah. give, give it, give it, give it willingly and freely. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to my stories and thank everybody um, else who, who is potentially going to listen to them. Yes. Um, yes. So there's, long- there's, there's a lot of people out there that are enjoying, enjoying my podcast, which is, is, is um, yeah, it's quite nice. So um, hopefully you'll take away from this all the good things that you can, all those listening. And um, yeah, obviously all the details about lovely Charlie. Um, I will give her Instagram profile for you all to have a look at her account. She's got some amazing things on there. I was I was looking through it in the sort of 10, 15 minutes before we logged on. And it's a really, really good account. And I'm sure anyone that has you as a doula, Charlotte, would be uh, very blessed. So oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us. This podcast is a labour of love for all the people I've worked alongside in the birth world and every person who's about to become or already has become a parent. 
I don't intentionally advocate or recommend any product, person, charity above another. I also do not advertise on this podcast as I don't want any form of payment for this. All I ask is that you subscribe, listen in, and maybe even tell a friend. You can find me on Instagram as The Mail Jeweler. Thank you for listening.